<clears throat> okay, recording. You have a story to tell, and maybe you've thought, I should start a podcast. Meet Anchor. It's a powerful app that lets you record a podcast anywhere and get it heard everywhere. All you need to do is download the free Anchor app and hit record. Just go to anchor.fm slash get started. Your story matters. Make a podcast with Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash get started. Great. I think we got it. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, guys? My next news podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Solomon Ali NBA on Twitter. Here's joined by Ben Dubose of USA Today Sports. How you doing, Ben? Doing well, Solomon. How are you? I'm doing all right. So the last time I recorded a podcast, the Rockets had lost eight games in a row. Sitting here today before the All-Star break, the Rockets have now lost 13 games in a row. <laughs> um, in the beginning, when this was just a five or six game losing streak, you could have blamed this on injuries, right? Christian Wood had gotten hurt, Victor mm-hmm. Oladipo missed games, Eric Gordon missed games, etc., etc. But now it's become pretty clear that the Rockets are lacking the requisite talent to compete at a playoff level this season. I thought they had the potential to be a scrappy ninth or tenth seed, and the the Western Conference, I no longer believe this is possible anymore. The reason I'm saying all this is on last week's podcast with Michael Shapiro, we discussed the idea of tanking, and I said I wouldn't do it if I were Houston. I, I still thought there was an incentive there to compete because of the pick swap. But now I've completely changed mm-hmm. course on that. Uh, they just don't have the talent to keep up. If I'm Rafael Stone, I'm now changing gears and pivoting to a tank. Uh, ben, I don't know which side of the conversation you were on before, but I'm curious where you are on to that, that today. Do you agree, or do you think there's still incentive to compete for Houston this season? Yeah, the big thing for me is that, and I've had this discussion on Twitter a few times, I've learned that tank means different things for different people. Now, if tank means trade your veterans, that especially those that aren't expiring deals like Victor Oladipo and P.J. Tucker, Absolutely. You cannot keep guys around for the season just for the off chance that you make a run at the playoffs. And I thought that when the streak was at eight, nine games, it's especially true now that it's at 13. You also have to explore certainly veterans, even if they're not on expiring contracts like Eric Gordon, when you're in the position the Rockets are in. Where I don't believe the Rockets should go, and maybe it's inconsequential, I still don't think you should seek to intentionally lose. I think when you come out of the break, Kevin Porter Jr. will will be there. We hope Christian Wood is not that far away. And by the way, I, I still wouldn't say that Wood's injury isn't a big factor for this slide. They were 7-1. and one. They had the second best defense in the NBA at, at the time of his injury. They had won seven of their last eight, and generally by convincing margins, 
I think when you have a slide like this, a lot of things can snowball. But I absolutely do think that with a spark and with your best player back, they could be a lot better than they are right now. With that said, I'm not naive to the fact that even if they are a lot better, they're 12 games under 500. They've dug themselves quite a hole, basically at the midpoint of the year. So it's not really realistic to try and make a run. I mean, I don't know if you overachieve, you do it. But the way I look at it, I still am not on board with all out tanking to lose games because to me, and this stretch has kind of highlighted it to me, Christian Wood is so important to this team, not just offensively with the points and the superficial stats, but we saw his growth on defense throughout the season as well to where clearly the couple of weeks before his injury, and then you compare that to what's happened since, he was so big as a as an athletic, mobile, switchable big that could allow the Rockets and Steven Silas to do so many more things than they can now. To me, tanking is a clear turnoff to a 25-year-old who is right in his prime. And by the way, after this season, it's only two years from unrestricted free agency. So I'm not on board with going against Christian Wood. Now, maybe you're not good enough to win anyway. You could certainly make an argument since they've lost 13 straight games. But I would not tank if it means outwardly trying to lose games. What I would do, though, is trade the veterans, certainly those on expiring deals like Tucker and Oladipo, explore the market for those with contracts beyond this year, such as Eric Gordon. But I think you give the Christian Wood-led group a chance unless, and to me, this is sort of the the real thing that Rafael Stone is going to have to ask himself going into the deadline and especially going into the offseason. Are the Rockets on a two- to three-year rebuild, or are they on a five-plus-year rebuild? That's where I see a lot of split on Twitter and discussing the current situation with folks. In the ideal world, if it's two to three years, Christian Wood is a big part of that. You can use a lot of those future draft picks to potentially trade this offseason, next season, for the next disgruntled star, pair them with Christian Wood. Maybe you get lucky in the draft this year. The current streak is an aberration. You could argue that based on the injuries and a few other things. The flip side, there's other people that seem to think that this is sort of a five-plus-year deal, sort of like Oklahoma City in which you're going asset accumulation mode, just super young, get all the prospects you can, and hope you hit the lottery on a few of those guys. I don't think it's quite that dire. I think the reason Oklahoma City is sort of going to that deep of a rebuild is because it's so tough for OKC to be a lure to either a free agent or a star on the trade market. I think Houston, especially with Christian Wood, could be a lure, so I don't think they have to think that long-term. But I'll just be honest. To me, the pivot point in this discussion is Christian Wood. Because if you're talking about these long-term rebuilds, not just tanking this year, but tanking 2022, 2023, when the Rockets have full control of their picks, by the time you're up from air from all of that, and some of these young prospects you get are starting to mature, Christian Wood's prime may be over. If you're thinking that long-term, you're not going to do it now, but be it this offseason or next season, you might have to think about trading Christian Wood. I'm not willing to go there. I think for a lot of reasons, I think the Rockets are still a well-respected franchise. You can go the shorter, 
two to three year rebuilding cycle. Hope you hit a home run with the next disgruntled star that comes on the market in a year or so. That's sort of my focus, making things work with Christian Wood as a foundation piece. I think that can work. And because of that, I guess I would tank to an extent if you consider giving up the veterans tanking, but I would not try to lose. If you actively try to lose and basically try and make Houston, Oklahoma City South, then that's sort of, you know, I know there's a lot of dominoes that still have to be, you know, played out. But to me, that's sort of saying that when this team next contends, Christian Wood might not be here. I'm not willing to go there yet. So to me, I'm willing to roll the dice on Christian Wood, Kevin Porter Jr., John Wall, see what happens after the break. But no matter what, I think we can definitely agree. Victor Oladipo, P.J. Tucker, those guys are almost certainly gone in either scenario. Yeah, and I don't think coaches and players on the ground level ever intentionally try to lose games, right? Like, I don't think that's ever... Yeah, even teams that tank, right? Like Brett Brown and the Sixers. Like Brett Brown wasn't trying to lose games, right? Like the the Sixers front office, you know, Sam Inkey and those guys were building a team that made it pretty much impossible for him to lose games. Not not because for not for malicious reasons, but they thought that it was better to take a longer term approach with the roster, and they were right, right? Like the Sixers are the best seed in the, in the Eastern Conference right now, right? Like they're mm-hmm. awesome, and that's because they're they're feasting off the fruits of that tanking labor. As far as where they are in the, the tanking life cycle, I should say, um, mm-hmm. it really does depend on what you think of Christian Wood, right? And I, I personally don't believe he is a foundational enough player to where you start building timelines off see, of him. See, to me, that's the point of dispute. I'm on the other side of it. I really like... I would have been with you early in the season. I really like the last 10 games or so, and it's a small sample, and that's part of why I want to see more to confirm that, but I really like the growth that we saw from Wood on the defensive end of the floor the final 10 games or so before he went down with that ankle sprain. Now, I understand the sample size, but there was enough intrigue for me between the defensive improvement and the three-point shooting that I could see potentially – Emphasis on potentially. I'm not locking myself into this by any means, but there's enough there for me to want to play this out and be open to the idea that he could be a foundational piece. And by the way, you're exactly right. No team is going to outwardly try to lose, especially a young coach like Steven Silas. What I mean is that the organization does things, you know, feigns injuries, comes up with strategic ways at a high level to put them in a position to lose. If you consider trading Victor Oladipo and P.J. Tucker doing that, yeah, they'll probably do that. I personally don't. I think you can still have a very intriguing team with Kevin Porter Jr., with uh, Christian Wood, obviously, John Wall. But to me, to get back to the point, how you feel about the two- to three-year rebuild versus sort of a five-plus-year going the long way around the Oklahoma City route right now, to me, it totally comes down to how you feel about Christian Wood. Because if you're if you're doing all-out tanking, if you're committing to that path, then while it's not a lock, you never know, at the same time, between Wood becoming unrestricted free agent and just the typical aging curve for a guy who isn't LeBron James or I suppose now James Harden, seeing how well he's playing into his low 30s, the mid to upper 20s is typically the prime for most of these guys. So for one reason or another... You have to be prepared that if you're looking beyond the next two to three years for when the Rockets build their next contender, 
Christian Wood may not be the focal point of that team. And maybe he's not. That's the debate. But to me, that's sort of what Twitter is overlooking in this discussion. A lot of people just sort of take Christian Wood for granted in that whichever way you go, he's going to be there. And to me, that's not really the case, certainly to optimize him, but in many cases to perhaps make the Rockets attractive to him, period, you have to decide where Christian Wood fits in sort of your blueprint for the next Rockets championship team, because some of the decisions you make are correlated strongly with that. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host your own podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your own show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google. This episode is brought to you by Cox Home Life. Cox helps make your home smarter. And now you can see what's happening around your home right from your couch. Just pull up your home life cameras on your TV with your Contour voice remote and some simple voice commands. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're outside? Say, show me my backyard camera. And to see who's at the door, just say, show me my front porch camera. To learn more, visit cox.com slash thisishome. Stitcher and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. That's the same rate any other hosting set would charge you just for your initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bw.hustle join. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and what I'll say is those players that you mentioned, you know, LeBron, James Harden, you know, some of the foundational players in the NBA, like we knew by age 25 for the most part that they Mm -hmm. were foundational players. He's 25 right now. I I don't think he's a foundational player. I think he can be maybe the second, third, maybe even fourth best player on a championship team possibly. But when you're at that level, I'm not building timelines around you. That that's just okay. the way I view it. Like 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 the Rockets with Kyle Lowry is a great example, right? Like Kyle Lowry at that point was a fringe All Star in the Western Conference, really really good player. Uh, we saw the potential for him being getting a little bit better, but at the at the same time. It was pretty clear to everybody that he wasn't a guy, right? He wasn't someone you could build around. Now, if you believe Christian Wood is somebody you can build around, obviously you're going to view this discussion some completely different than I am. Uh, I I think he is, for all intents and purposes, Houston's best asset, but should not be viewed anything anything more than that as as of right now. Yeah, uh, and. And by the way, I think that's the right way to look at him if you're from your perspective. Like I said, the sample is small enough, and he, we saw enough improvement, not just defensively, but with the three-point shooting. I'm keeping an open mind. The book 
on Christian Wood is still, even though he's 25, it's so young in terms of his actual minutes and NBA level. That's why I have some curiosity, not saying I'm buying in, just saying I'm keeping an open mind to it. But if you're on your side of the fence in which you feel pretty convinced for one reason or another that while he's a pretty good player, he's not going to be really a foundational piece, the first or second best player on a championship team, then you have to be open potentially, not now, not by the deadline, but you have to be open to the idea maybe as soon as this offseason, but certainly I think at some point in the upcoming league year to potentially maximizing his value by trading him because what he can bring you in return in terms of future draft assets, younger players will fit more with your timeline if you are doing a true rebuild, if you have truly pivoted to what some people consider tanking. So that's the distinction I would draw is that if you go down this road, I think you can make a legitimate argument. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, but you have to be prepared for the idea that Christian Wood, while certainly a nice player, I don't think anyone is going to argue that. If you view him in the sense that you're sort of describing right now, you have to be at least somewhat open to the idea of moving him in the right deal a few months or maybe a year or so from now. Do you consider that to be fair? Yeah, and here's what I'll say. Like Traditionally, uh, you're talking about a long-term rebuild. That takes four or five years, right? And what I would say is I don't I don't even think if they go traditional rebuild, pal, I don't, I don't even think they need to go four or five years. I, I, I think they have... I mean, I'm not sure if you if you saw the graphic that Bobby Marks tweeted uh, mm-hmm. this morning. Um, they have 13 first round picks over the next five yeah. years. Like that's a significant leg up over traditional rebuilding teams, right? Like yeah. they may not have to be even if they tear everything down. They may not have to do it for very long because the next star player might be available or the next foundational player might yes, be available exactly via trade. Exactly. Yeah, and you can pounce on that, and and that's kind of where I'm at. Like I I think. If you if the trade's available, like you cannot, I guess this might be where we differentiate. Like you cannot be hesitant to put Christian Wood in that sort of deal, right? If that if 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 trading him gets you closer to that superstar, yeah. um, I, at least I believe you cannot be hesitant to move him. Uh, maybe you believe differently. Maybe you believe he's a non non tradable kind of guy. Um, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I, I guess I guess when he returns, yeah. we, we will see if he is. You know the defensive anchor that um, that he was. You know for the the last well, couple I think, weeks where he got hurt. Yeah, I think we're on the same page in that we both want to see more and at least play this out. By the way, when I say four or five years, I mentioned not only it's not just literally tanking for four to five years. It's that even if you only tank for two or three years, because of course there's no guarantees if you tank this year because of the pick swap you're still going to take at least a couple of years for those young prospects that you get to even start maturing to a level that can really make you a playoff contender and hopefully more than that. So you have to think of Christian Wood's value, not just when you get these next pieces, but also what his value is when they actually mature. And so that's why I'm sort of saying you have to at least consider that idea. But I think we're on the same page in that there's no reason to lock yourself into that path right now, or even this off season. You want to play it out. And maybe this off season, maybe at some point in the next uh, 2021, 2022 season, there's a superstar that's disgruntled and the Rockets, you mentioned their enormous amount of first round draft picks. They'd be well positioned to trade for that star. And perhaps that star is settled. You know, he wants to go to Houston because it's a big market. They typically treat 
stars very well. He'd have a nice Robin to his Batman in Christian Wood. And that's the rosy scenario. So yeah, you know, that's why you don't make a move desperately now. I'm just saying that if that fails a year or so from now, and you're sort of bearish on Christian Wood, and maybe this resolves itself, because, you know, if we wait a few months to sort of get more of a sample on Christian Wood, this sort of divergence between us in terms of, you know, is Christian truly a foundational guy will resolve itself as we get a larger sample. So some of this debate is sort of inconsequential. One thing that I want to run by you, you know, the trade deadline considerations for the Rockets. Obviously, Oladipo, Tucker, that seems pretty straightforward. They're going to get the best value they can for well, those guys. I, I, I have a question to pose to you from that. Okay. Like, so, so you have already, you think Oladipo is getting traded straight yep. up. You've already, yep. you've, okay, all right. Well, so here's what I want to throw to you. What I was trying to sort of get at with the discussion and tying it in with what we were saying with Christian Wood and the timeline. What I wonder, and I posed this question on Rockets Twitter today, is there a world where Raphael Stone could call up Sam Presti and try to make a deal for Miami's first-round pick this year? Because what that would do, if you could get Miami's first-round pick, that dramatically decreases the downside of the pick swap. Because first off, Houston's pick is top four protected no matter what, but because Oklahoma City's not going to be good, if you can get Miami's first-round pick, that pick swap could realistically only drop you from maybe five to seven, because obviously Oklahoma City's not a very good team either. So there's a lot of incentive for Houston to pursue that path, because if you want to win with Christian Wood, if you want to win with Christian Wood and perhaps see him as a focal point, then if you could take the pick swap off the table, you could guarantee yourself a top six pick roughly in this year's draft. But I guess what my question is, do you see those those two teams as natural trading partners? No, No, but what I'm saying is that in this case, depending on the timelines and if Houston feels like with Christian Wood, they have to sort of push the chips in, there might be something. Because for OKC, first off, they're not getting a top four pick if it's Houston's, no matter what. It's protected. Whereas next year is the double draft. So if you're OKC, and of course at the deadline, the the lottery has not been held, so you don't know what that pick swap is going to do, you have to know that right now, Houston has a 52% shot of keeping its pick. So that's a more than 50-50 shot that your pick swap ends up bringing you nothing, that you lose the value of that. Slightly more than 50-50, that's pretty daunting. On the other hand, you could use that pick swap and the Miami first, which will probably be about number 20 overall, to perhaps get, let's say, the Houston pick in next year's double draft the when the high school rules change, which is supposed to be like the strongest in a generation. If you're Sam Presti, that's got to be pretty intriguing given the 50-50 shot, better than 50-50 right now, that the pick swap gets you nothing this year because Houston is unexpectedly this bad. And it's not as if Oklahoma City really has to have another first-round pick this year. They've already got their own no matter what. 
So I'm not saying it's a slam dunk for Houston to do that, because right now the unprotected picks in 2022 and 2023 that Houston has of their own, those are perhaps the most valuable assets in the organization, given the fact that this team has lost 13 straight games and doesn't appear very good. But if you feel compelled to sort of push the timetable forward and try to build around Christian Wood, you could make a case for, hey, what happens if you call up Sam Presti and see what you can do to either get that Miami pick or perhaps directly trade uh, to get the pick swap removed, whatever it may be, to basically, by doing so, ensure yourself, even if you don't win the lottery, a top six pick in the 2021 draft. Not saying it's likely, I'm just saying that it's something that you could make a case for both teams, at least considering it, if Rafael Stone feels prompted to sort of go down that path. If I'm Houston, I don't feel compelled enough to win to do that. Yeah, no, I. that's what I would expect you to say, because what you were saying earlier about Christian Wood, the only way you would feel compelled to do that if you're Houston is if you really believe in Christian Wood and you are putting a high priority on winning with Christian and convincing him long-term that this is where he's going to be and you believe he can be a foundational piece. If you believe that, then yes, that would be the case for sort of pushing the 2022 pick to ensure yourself that you get a really elite pick this year. If you sort of take the view that you were expressing earlier, that Christian's a little, you know, just sort of uncertain, then you probably want... um the more certainty of the 2022 pick, which given the way the Rockets look right now has a good shot to be a really good asset. And even if it's not a top five asset, you know, the 2022 draft should be absolutely loaded. So I would expect you to be on that side of the fence based on your wood outlook. I'm just sort of presenting what I was saying earlier. If you really believe in Christian wood as that type of guy, then maybe that's something you consider. Didn't mean to sort of, you know, take our podcast on a tangent, but it's just something I've been thinking about today is something a little bit different than, the obvious stuff, which in my opinion is trading Oladipo and Tucker. No, I mean, so to clarify, like my perspective on Wood is not that I don't think he's talented, right? Like I think he's obviously a talented player, but the ceiling I see for him is like, okay, maybe he makes two or three all-star games, right? And if that's the case, I just, I don't know. Like I, I don't, I don't think you know that that's a player that might be good enough to be the third best player on a championship team. I'm not sure I'm building timelines around him. Right? And and as you as you said, I think I think you I think you grasped that point. But um, yeah, I mean let's 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 talk about this season though, because I want I want to circle it back around okay. to, to this season. So let's say they're in they're in a position at the trade deadline where let's say nothing changes, right? They, they, okay. they, they might win one or two more games. Let's just say it's, the scenario is pretty much the same. Out of these four players, P.J. Tucker, Daniel House, Victor Odipo, Eric Gordon, how many of those players do you feel certain are getting moved? So from, from what I've been able to comp- get from you, you think Odipo and Tucker are just both gone mentally. Yeah. Can, do, you see any of the, do you see House or Gordon on the table as well? I, th- I see them on the table. Um, I just, I feel as though House, I won't say there's no shot that he gets dealt, but someone would have to really like him. Going into the year, with this being the second to last year at a relatively cheap deal, I thought this could be a sneaky year to use Daniel House Jr. as an asset, especially if you didn't really believe in him long term. 
But the thing is, he's played and shot so poorly that even though his contract, of course, is pretty cheap, I don't know that anyone is really looking at Daniel House as a guy who's clearly a rotation player on a playoff team. Now, someone can certainly see the guy he was the last two years and project accordingly. And I think he'd probably benefit in some ways from getting out of Houston, where I think there is a little bit of baggage from what happened at the end of last year. But I just don't know. Um, I, I just don't know that he's established the market. Eric Gordon, it's so tough to say because he is a little bit overpaid. Uh, I do think that the overpaid angle, though, is exaggerated, especially on NBA Twitter, because not enough people realize the last year of his contract is only guaranteed if he makes an all-star team, which is not going to happen, or if his team wins a championship, which, number one, it's not happening in Houston, I feel pretty confident. And secondly, if the team he's traded to then wins a championship, I think they would consider that a very good problem. So basically, Eric Gordon just has two more years after this season. He's looked healthy this year, highest percentage on two-pointers of his career. Maybe it's the time. Woj said on Wednesday night that there's a great deal of interest in him. So, you know, I'm 50-50, maybe. I don't think the Rockets would trade him just to move him, like if he's viewed as a negative asset to get rid of him, because I do think that a year from now, when his contract only has one more year, rather than the two extra, talking about the next two seasons that's on it right now, then, you know, there's no rush to move Eric Gordon just to move him. But if he's viewed as a positive asset, then yeah, you could move him because he's 32 years old. He's probably not going to really fit, at least not in his prime, with the next Rockets contender. So yeah, you absolutely consider it. I would say House is the least likely, just because he's not playing that well. Gordon, a little more likely, but just hard to say because of the contract. And then Oladipo and Tucker. To me, that's to me that's pretty simple. Veterans in the last year of their contract, you just cannot take the risk. Even if you have bird rights, you cannot take the risk of those guys leaving you for no compensation if there's any sort of positive asset that you can get. The only way you would take that risk is, of course, if you're a playoff team and you see some value in keeping those guys around and making the most of this season and then saying, let's let the chips fall where they may for future years. Obviously, this this particular season has a ceiling and even in the rosiest outlook you can come up with, maybe they make a half-hearted run to try and get the number 10 seed in a play-in tournament. That's not worth keeping those guys. So obviously you try and get the best asset that you can, unless the one, unless, and I just don't, well, certainly not with PJ at his age, he's just not going to fit with the cycle with Oladipo. There could be a point, and I was with this earlier when the Rockets first traded for him, and of course this was before the 13-game losing streak, if Oladipo was willing to sign for a cheap enough deal, i.e. he wanted to be in Houston so much that he signed for a deal that was so friendly that you'd feel confident in him as a positive trade asset in future seasons, then okay, maybe you consider re-signing him. But with the news this week that he turned down, I know it's just two years, but annual value of $23 million a year, that extension, which is the max the Rockets could offer right now, they offered two years, $46 million, according to Woj, and Oladipo turned it down. Of course, that was right at the start of when he got traded here, but the point is, I don't see a world in which Oladipo at $23 million in annual value or more, and it sounds like he wants more than that, is a significantly positive trade asset, given what we have seen from him thus far. So to me, you just sort of have to 
unless you can get him on a super team-friendly deal and based on him turning that contract down, I don't think you can. To me, I think you just sort of have to cash out. And in hindsight, you can wonder if, you know, should they have gone after Oladipo? Should they have taken Karis LeVert instead or Jared Allen or so many other permeations of the Harden 14 trade? You know, we can go back and forth on that forever. But I just think you sort of have to live in the here and now when you're evaluating the situation. And I just don't see a world in which if Oladipo isn't willing to sign for a $23 million a year annual value, that he's not really going to have that much positive trade value on his next deal. So I just feel like the Rockets just sort of have to cash out now. I think that's probably the best shot and hope you get some sort of uh, future draft consideration or young player in the deal. Backtracking, backtracking to Eric Gordon, I guess the only scenario where I could see the Rockets trading him is if they go full nuclear, right? If they really mm-hmm. want, if they really want to try and retain that pick this season and and and, and get the best quads they can at retaining that pick, that's where I can see them trading Eric Gordon. And if there is a market out there, right? I actually don't know what the market is. Like, I I, I would assume it's probably less than you'd like but more than you'd expect right yeah i i i i I think i think houston can probably get 75 cents on the dollar for eric Gordon right now i think next season is probably where you get a better value because again you only have you know two years or at that point a year and a half left i think that's probably the year that houston decides to move on from eric gordon as far as daniel house you make a great point he's not playing well enough to really command much of a market unless you really want a second round pick like a, a protected second round pick and yeah Going back to Oladipo, it's interesting because I'm still not 100% certain that, that Houston moves Oladipo. And that's, that's why I expressed a little bit of shock when, when, I, when I heard that it seems like you were 100% certain that he's going to be moved. I, I think the temptation to keep his contract and let it expire is, is one that Houston you know, really looked at when they decided to make that deal instead of taking on Karis LeVert. Because otherwise, I don't see an, I don't see why they didn't just take LeVert, right? Well, if was, they were going to trade him all along, I, I, I don't see it. Unless it really did surprise him, surprise Houston how poorly he's played since he's gotten here. But I don't think they they were... I don't think they're necessarily that surprised. I mean, I, they, they watched him all year. They knew what he was. It's it just... It, to me, it, it just seems like it doesn't all line up. Like, if, if they were going to make the trade only to trade the contract again... I, I, you would think it would just be for Levert. So I, I still think there's an incentive there to let it play out, see how it goes in free agency. I suspect they have a number in mind, and that's why they offered him the contract extension. And it, and this is kind of where they, they, they cross paths, right? Like the, I think Oladipo definitely sees himself as worth 25 to $30 million a year. And Houston probably sees him closer to 20 to $25 million, And that's kind of why they offered him the deal that they did. And... I, I I still I don't know I still see us I still see Houston letting that contract expiring as a distinct possibility. I think that would be dramatically disappointing. And keep in mind, Ola, I mean, Lavert makes about five million dollars less per season than what Oladipo was offered in that extension. So I don't really believe that. I didn't believe it to start with, but I don't, definitely don't believe it after learning the extension offer that. Houston did this with Oladipo out of the idea that they could just let his contract roll off and take the 
you know, cash savings after the year, because if that were the case, you wouldn't offer him a deal that's worth $5 million a year more in annual value than Levert. I think, I think there's a combination of two things going on. I do think there's some disappointment in his level of play. He hasn't been nearly as explosive offensively as I would have thought, and perhaps that's injury related. And the other thing too, is that the team just overall has underachieved. And I think, you know, Matt Moore was talking about this today, how disappointed he was that Wall, Oladipo, and Wood didn't really get a real run. And I think when they made that trade, they were saying, hey, we could be an interesting team this year. There's still some value in that. And I think just sort of the confluence of circumstances, when they made the deal, I don't think they anticipated the team this year being as bad as it's become. So I think part of it too is just sort of the the pieces around Oladipo and I think not having wood a rolling big really hurts him as well. But I just think for a lot of reasons, the fit isn't what they envisioned when they put that deal together in mid January. Well, can, or can I interject here? Cause I sure. actually, I actually think they offered that contract extension just to see if they can get a fair market value. And I don't think they really expected him to accept it. I can't help shake this feeling that it's not 100% that they move him. I, I, I would I would probably at this moment say it's seventy thirty. Like I, I do believe he will get moved. I don't know if it's a certainty yet. As well. Yeah. I mean I think I think it's fair to you know, especially with a new GM too. I mean, you never know until it's done. But I feel pretty confident that that he's not gonna be here. I think the bottom line is just the fit was not what either party had in mind when this thing happened in mid-January. Ben, where can we where can we read your work and follow you on Twitter? Yep, uh, rocketswire.usatoday.com and Ben Dubose on Twitter. Thanks so much for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.